that's what we found so far. Yeah, and I think you say something super interesting here when you compare different chains and something that I really want to put in front of the bus if there's anyone out there who's on the tipping point between Polkadot and Cosmos. Because personally, I was I was very big in Ethereum. I built a lot of stuff in, in Solidity on, on the Ethereum chain. It was very natural for me to support Polkadot because of Gavin. Um, and I've been in that community for quite some time. But the whole rent-seeking that you mentioned, parachain auctions, is a huge barrier to the community on Polkadot, which you don't see on Cosmos. Uh, the barriers are just too high for projects all over the world to innovate. Uh, as you mentioned, like half your treasury will go to a, a parachain auction probably or something like that. And that's what most people see. Um, actually, most people don't even have the funds to, to even be able to bid. And that's, that's just a problem. And that's also why I started looking to alternatives. I found Cosmos very quickly. And I must say, I am just so impressed with the Cosmos community. Every time I see a new project launching on the, on the, in the Cosmos ecosystem, everybody is cheering them on almost. Like it's not this competition where you're bidding against each other or whatever you might do in other ecosystems. You want the ecosystem to grow because of IPC. We can transfer value between each other's chains. So that's why everybody's rooting on each other. Every time there's something new and somebody succeeds, everybody's clapping their hands almost and uh, cheering them on. And uh, that's just such a great vibe that I've experienced in the Cosmos community myself. I I totally agree. And I think it's the, it's the composability. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows that like, there is going to be consolidation over time. Like some projects are going to succeed, some will disappear. Right, guys. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining the Cosmos Club. Cosmos Club is a channel for the community, by the community, uh, with uh, all things about the Cosmos ecosystem. So for those of you who don't know, we uh, tweet daily about what's going on in the Cosmos ecosystem, summarizing that into a weekly newsletter. And then we invite interesting guests on our podcast slash Twitter space. And today we are joined by Fraser from Checked. Thank you very much, Fraser, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing kind of the questions that come in. And uh, yeah, and like I was saying, um, just had an interesting experience with our CFO that's uh, highly relevant to the kind of the discussion later on. Wonderful. We can't wait to hear, I'm sure. But before we dive in, and we have a lot of ground to cover, by the way, we've got a lot of questions from the community, which is awesome. Thank you for that, guys. But before we dive in, I want to start on a more like personal note, I guess we can call it, because every time I get asked a question about Web3 and blockchain and why do we need this in the first place, I always start uh, or I, I typically answer that question by focusing on identity or privacy, uh, how we store our private data. Because right now, if you ask me, we stand in front of a, a pretty sort of binary choice. There's a blue pill uh, where we can build a world where a few companies, typically situated in the US or China, uh, that will start owning everything, starting with our private data. Or we can build a decentralized, decentralized world where we, each and every one of us, hold our own assets, starting with our personal data. 
we can trade it, we can transfer it, we can hold it in a wallet. And all that is being verified in a technology, in a ledger um, that we currently call blockchain. And that's the choice that we stand in front. And that's why I am so happy to have you here, Fraser, and uh, you guys, not to put too much weight on your shoulders, but you guys are arguably some of the people, some of the few people that is solving this problem, the, the answer that I, that I tend to give people why we need Web3 and blockchain. So that's on a personal note. Uh, this is not for me to uh, ramble on about my personal stories here. We want to hear about you, Fraser. But before we, we talk about checked and uh, the check token and, and all the things that you guys are working on, perhaps we should start he hearing a little bit about you and uh, how you got into all this in the first place. Yeah, more than more than happy to. And it's great to hear from from someone like yourself who's um, understood the message um, and kind of understands the trade-off so well. Um, we know that like SSI is like this really, really technical concept and it goes down a rabbit hole with like acronyms and stuff. And actually like the way that you've articulated it is, is perfect. Um, but I guess to, to start off with, with me and how I got into this. So maybe four or five years ago, I was working at Accenture um, and I was working on just general blockchain projects. So like big enterprise stuff, um, cross blockchain payments with central banks, um, equity clearing, that kind of stuff. Um, and then our CTO anchor got involved in a project with the National Health Service in the UK, um, looking at digitizing doctor credentials. Um, and it was all around the idea that um, when doctors move between uh, hospitals in the UK, they have to typically present documents again and again and again. And the problem with that is that um, they reckon they leave somewhere between 50 and 100,000 doctor days a year just to presenting documents. And, and ultimately, and if that, was my, that was my first experience of SSI. Like that was the technology that they were using to do this um, digitization. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, that was maybe yeah, four or five years ago. And then a year later, a project called the Known Traveler Digital Identity came around um, it had been running for a few years with the Dutch and Canadian governments and the World Economic Forum, but uh, they were now looking at shifting what was originally a research report into a um, into a pilot phase, and um, that was at the point where I was brought on because my, my background is kind of typically a mix of architecture and, and delivery kind of project management. So I, I got dragged into into that, and um, that was very much looking at digitizing passports for international travel. And it just so happened that it was using exactly the same tech that Anchor had encountered when working or looking at working with the NHS, uh, the National Health Service in the UK. Mm. Um, so I kind of just fell into it. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, sounds like yourself have grown up kind of originally having like quite a private like um, experience online where, yeah, I had like MySpace and Bebo and like all that kind of jazz and MSN when I was kind of starting off. But like, I was kind of choosing like what to publicize and I wasn't really like pressed into sharing data that I didn't want to. Um, and obviously now it's gone through that evolution where um, I had a great example over the weekend, which was I was going to uh, just, I'm in Paris at the moment and was just going to see like an exhibition and I will probably only go to this exhibition once and this like uh, place once. And yet I had to create an email account to do it. So like create an account with them to do it. Mm. 
and they don't need that information. Like all they need is an email address and for me to pay, they don't need all this data. Mm. Um, and yet that's becoming just like the de facto mechanism for all of this is um, like just harvesting data left, right and center. So um, I kind of like fell into this area and, and just fell in love with it. But at the same time, like I think everyone on the course probably experienced that like slow creeping surveillance that's happened over the years. Yeah. Um, and obviously like, there's now starting to be that movement which SSI is our decentralized ID to really start fighting back against it and say there is a there is a better way um there's a much better way yeah yeah I think uh this is a very grateful community here and uh you're sort of preaching to the choir I think everybody is on board with the SSI and, and having something on chain so we don't have to replicate our data in all kinds of silo databases out there but um yeah, that's a bit about you and how you stumbled upon the, the whole problem in the first place. Perhaps uh, also tell us a bit about how Checked came about and uh, why why building uh, Checked in the first place, uh, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at the same time as myself and Anchor were doing those projects like the National Health Service, um, KTDI, um, like we're, we're in, in a consulting firm. So like the natural behavior when you start to see these projects is start looking at like, okay, we've built this project somewhere or like there's a pilot here. We've got all this technology and this platform and this expertise. How do we go and replicate it somewhere else? Like how do we go and um, make more sales off the back of this like original credential, or this case study? Mm. And so myself and Anka were kind of getting dragged into conversations with banks governments, uh, airlines, other um, agencies, kind of government agencies. Um, and what was what was happening really, really frequently, especially in private enterprise, in, in corporations where um, you'd get either through the sales pitch or maybe up to a POC or a, or a, um, a kind of pilot. So POC would be proof of concept. Right. Um, you would kind of go and deploy these things. Um, you'd show it off to all the stakeholders. The stakeholders would rave about it. Like one of the best experiences I had with KTDI was the sheer number of uh, people that when they got hold of the mobile app, and unfortunately I don't have it anymore, would just be like, this is what travel should be like. Like this is, this is the experience. Like this is just what tr air travel should look like in the future. Mm -hmm. And you've built it, like it exists. But the problem we kept on finding was um, there hadn't been a commercial model made for SSI. So the user experience was great. And actually, a lot of companies were kind of okay with giving data back to the individuals. They were like, actually, we see the benefit in this. Like, we see the better user experience. We see the user retention. Like, it's, we, do, we want to do this. Um, but the problem they have is, like, how do they trade off doing a project with self-sovereign ID versus something that's either going to be revenue generating or it's going to save them money somewhere. And basically throughout this journey, we were doing all these sales pitches and we just didn't have a great answer. Um, like we'd, we'd be kind of going like, yeah, the user experience is great. You'll get user retention, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But when it came down to brass tacks, they were like, am I going to make money or save money? Um, <laughs> and after, after long enough, we're basically like, okay, no one's solving this problem. How do we want to go off and solve it? And basically, it came down to providing like payment rails and commercial models of revenue streams for self-sovereign identity. Yeah. Um, and self-sovereign ID is a bit of a politicized term, but really, like 
it's just about trusted data. That's really what it comes down to. Um, and it doesn't need to be passports or driving licenses. It could be like a receipt, a business license, a gym membership, anything like that. Right. Um, but there's obviously value in, in that data. And if you compare that data to say um, what goes on right now. So you, your point around like the the big U.S. companies or the big Chinese companies, like any, any of these companies that is just sucking up data. Um what's happening right now is they, they monetize it. They turn it into advertising and they sell your profile and they sell advertising to you. Yeah. And they, and they know pretty accurately, like how much each piece of data about you is worth in terms of uh, like ad revenue. And effectively what we're doing is providing the same opportunity with solve sovereign ID. So you can give that data back. And then there's like the potential to earn revenue based on that data but the user's now in control and they can start using it in ways that they weren't able to before. And we can go into that in a bit more detail, but really it's all about kind of making self-sovereign identity commercially viable and make it a genuine alternative rather than something that probably for the last four years has mostly been seen as privacy tech. Right. And actually it's, it's so, or like reg tech maybe, and actually it's got so much more potential than that, which we're starting to keep, see come through now. So it was basically classic, classic entrepreneur story of, I keep, I've seen this problem for long enough and no one solved it. I'm going to go off and do it myself. Um, and it just happened to be kind of monetizing SSI was the bit that we were focusing on. Nice. And I think that, that sort of encapsulates what the Checked is all about. Because what I noticed and what really struck me as a Dane, I'm sitting here in Denmark, in Copenhagen, we uh, tend to say that we are very humble people. And I think you guys are extremely humble because 99% of the stuff that you put out on, like when you talk, the content that you put out on text, medium, whatever, you talk about SSI. You don't talk about the check network. You don't talk about your company or whatever. Um, and that's pretty humble and, and struck me a lot. Like uh, this is what you focus on. Like the, the, the problem, you know, eyes on the ball more than promoting uh, the network or the token or whatever you you might, from a business perspective, uh, be uh, be focusing on. So I guess, is it correctly understood that the Czech network is, is sort of like the commercialization of SSI so people can actually, uh, organizations, governments, whatever, can use this in practice? Yes, yeah, that's a perfect way of describing it. And and the reason why, um, like, we love to talk about the network, um, but it's, it's all kind of, it is in service of like a greater good um eduardo our head of marketing has kind of termed it like the data wars um mm. and that's really what it's kind of coming down to like there's there's some stuff we'll get onto in a, in a bit later but like there really, really is this kind of fight for people's data between individuals and big corporations um and, and the other thing is we're we're very much doing this in partnership with others so like whilst we're the network layer we're working with i think upwards of 37 ssi vendors now worldwide um, so they're people that like focus on an industry or a country or a use case. Right. Um, so it's very much like it's a huge collective effort. And that's one of the big benefits of SSI is like it is all people working together to kind of go and re reclaim people's control and privacy. Um, so always happy to talk about what we're up to, but it's, it's a te it's very much a team sport. Yeah. It always is, and uh, it's also one of the community. A lot of the community questions is around adoption, how to get users. But I guess it starts or ends with the vendors, like people that actually integrate with your network. If people don't use it, uh, like vendors uh, to get users in, 
uh, you won't you won't get very far with the network. Yeah, it's a, that's a great it's a great point. And um, we had this theory where, um, like a lot of other, there are other SSI networks out there. Um, I don't think they're tackling the same thing that we're doing exactly, but um, they typically focus on a vertical. Um, so you might see someone like Fractal focusing on reusable KYC. Um, you might see, um, I think Doc and Kilt at one point were both going after like specific verticals. And our theory actually was if we went horizontal, um, we'd have a much better way of approaching the market. And the logic there is basically like, because we can partner up with the, the vendors, the application devs, they can tackle like individual verticals or countries and we can just work with them to make that better so instead of us having to take a massive gamble to go down one industry and see if it works or not we're able to work with the vendors to say where are the biggest opportunities for this like where do you need us as a network what do you need from a feature perspective to, su to succeed with your clients we'll go off and build that at the, at the network layer including payments but if there's anything else that you also need we'll go off and do that too and help you service them. And what that's starting to turn into now is we uh, obviously have the network bit like built out at least to a base layer, and that's kind of being incremented on now. But the other part that's going on is working with um, companies building software development kits, applications, serving specific industries hmm. so that they can use our network to service their clients. And we're starting to see like, we had this theory that it would happen and then the kind of competition would start kind of coming around. And what's been really, I think, really comforting to see is it's genuinely happening. So we, um, we've got an announcement, I think, coming out in the next couple of days with one company where we've been building into their SDK, their software development kit, because <clears throat> it, was, it was really modular. It was set up for us to kind of fit in quite nicely. And we're starting to see other groups kind of now switching on to be like, okay, it's supported there. Like we need to support it too. Otherwise we're losing out. Mm -hmm. And so it's becoming this like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, just land a beachhead and then kind of expand from there. Um, and then the next bit is going to be like actually seeing this go out to clients in a big way um, and start seeing adoption come on there. And the, the real beauty of it is that like, if we were going down, like if we use the KYC example again, like we, we would have been fighting for like every individual like user to come on and being really like a, a B2C company. And instead what we're able to do is work through the likes of um, kind of Animo, um, Evanim, Sferity and the others, like they have the potential to bring on entire industries in one go and just the, the, the volume that you can access with that is, is colossal. Like um, a great example is um, Avast, the antivirus company picked up or bought um, Evanim, one of our investors. And Avast as a company has just under half a billion devices they're installed on. Mm. And if we, if we tried to airdrop even a single token from treasury to those devices, we couldn't actually do it. There wouldn't be enough tokens to go around. Um, and that just kind of gives you an idea of the scale. So <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's it's very much like working with others, but that working with others has like huge potential in a way that trying to fight this one, like this battle on our own, just, yeah, just wouldn't achieve. Yeah, makes sense. 
And on the network, given that uh, this is the Cosmos Club, you can imagine that a lot of people are interested about your choice of choosing Cosmos, uh, building on Cosmos. So perhaps you can talk more about that. Like why, why not any other chain? Uh, why Cosmos in particular? There's a lot of alternatives out there. Perhaps uh, speak more to that. Yeah, honestly, more than happy to. Like, um, so a, a bit like really brief potted history about um, SSI. Like, a lot of it is built on a network called Hyperledger Indie. Mm. Um, it was built five or six, I think, around then, like years ago, and it really hasn't moved on that far. Um, there was a lot of early development, then it re it really didn't shift, and um, so a lot of networks have been built on that. Um, they've been using kind of the same protocol, the same stack, um, but it's not token native. It's probably one of the like, um, if you look in terms of like evolutions where you had like Bitcoin, then you had Ethereum, then you started having stuff like EOS. Um, then obviously you've had like um, Polkadot, Cosmos, Solana, Avalanche all coming around. Coming around. Mm. Um, like it was very much in like one of those earlier two waves, like around the same time that Ethereum was kind of coming out, maybe slightly after. So it was there very early, but it just hasn't kept pace. And it was, it was very, very specific to identity. So it didn't have this massive developer community kind of wrapped around it. So when we were looking at like, okay, we're going to go and build this identity network. We could kind of try and build everything onto Hyperledger Indie, or we could take something that's like emerging and go and build on there that has this big community, but also has all the infrastructure. So like, a great and we've we've blogged this somewhere i think if you look up like why um or like checked is joining the cosmos or something um on our blog you'll find it mm. um but for example like cosmos already had exchanges integrated with it it already had dexes um or at least they were kind of emerging when we were starting um it already had custody providers um it had on and off ramps like in terms of fear like and it had this massive developer community and some early efforts at SSI. So it's just like this perfect combination of like way more performant, way more resilient, um, like loads of features coming like downstream from, from core dev as well as a big community. And it already had all the infrastructure set up for it. And like, yeah, there's bits missing here or there, but like rather than us having to focus on to like trying to do all of this onto Indie, we've been able to kind of build it onto Cosmos. And actually what we're finding is a lot of the stuff that's coming downstream accelerates our um, roadmap. Great example, like when we were looking at Indy, we're like, okay, eventually we want some kind of governance. Like we want um, on-ledger governance. Um, we want the ability to vote on stuff in some proportion, blah, 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 blah. Right. And we, and we got that for free. Like we got that entirely for free. We didn't have to do anything. And there were people developing further levels of governance even beyond that. And then we get access to tooling like Commonwealth to go and actually have those debates. So the whole thing just like massively accelerate our, our adoption, uh, or sorry, our, our kind of roadmap. Um, but if I then compare it against like other networks, so um, like against Avalanche, Near, um, they kind of weren't there when we were looking. Um, so we were, um, really our choices were kind of Stellar, Ethereum, Polkadot, and Cosmos and a few others. Um, Ethereum, obviously a no-go due to like gas fees like and, and throughput, like that was never going to work even with layer twos. Right. Um, 
and they didn't really be and like uh, near Avalanche weren't there yet, and also like they're still pretty nascent. Um, it's all focused around DeFi, but then the really when you look at it as a shootout between um, Polkadot and Cosmos, like there's a, there's such a benefit to Cosmos's like like the atom and the hub not rent seeking from sovereign chains yeah. in the way that um, dot does yeah like like we'd have um so we raised a load of money into equity and we'd have basically had to go and spend half of that just to get like a slot exactly. um which is insane like it's completely insane um so as a result like it had a massive um there's a massive benefit there interestingly we've been speaking to um some of our validators and they validate on multiple chains, so I won't kind of name them in case this kind of um, goes on to one of the other communities. But they were quite open about like the cos one, the Cosmos community was the best, like not because of um, basically for like technical ability and willingness to collaborate, even if like there's obviously like flame wars and drama and politics all, all over the shop. But like everyone genuinely is pushing the space forward and pushing the protocols forward. Um, but the other thing that they said for, was from an engineering perspective, it basically behaves the best. So hmm. um, it's simpler than Polkadot. It works. The engine, like obviously everything that happened with Terra and Luna was terrible, but the one shining light to come out of it was actually like the consensus mechanism and the network performed like it was fine. Um, and th that was one of their statements was like, the engineering is really, really solid. And it's probably got a more technical community than many of the other projects out there. And it's why, like, it may not necessarily win any marketing awards, but, like, from an actual, like, execution perspective, it's going to go really, really far. Um, at, least, at least we hope so. So loads of stuff in there, like, reason for not going on Indie, reason for going to Cosmos versus Dot, but, like, Polkadot, sorry. Um, yeah. But it's, we found ourselves a really, really good home. Um, and every single time we go and look at a new feature that we need to build, like it's always been easier because we're on Cosmos versus anything else. That's what we found so far. Yeah, and I think you say something super interesting here when you compare different chains and something that I really want to put in front of the bus. If there's anyone out there who's on the tipping point between Polkadot and Cosmos, because personally, I was I was very big in Ethereum. I built a lot of stuff in, in Solidity on, on the Ethereum chain. It was very natural for me to support Polkadot because of Gavin. Um, and I've been in that community for quite some time. But the whole rent seeking that you mentioned, parachain auctions, is a huge barrier to the community on Polkadot, which you don't see on Cosmos. Uh, the barriers are just too high for projects all over the world to innovate. Uh, as you mentioned, like have your treasury will go to a a parachain auction probably or something like that and that's what most people see um, actually most people don't even have the funds to to even be able to bid and that's that's just a problem and that's also why i started looking to alternatives i found cosmos very quickly and i must say i am just so impressed with the cosmos community every time i see a new project launching on the on the in the cosmos ecosystem everybody is cheering them on Almost like it's not this competition where you're bidding against each other or whatever you might do in other ecosystems. You want the ecosystem to grow because of IPC. We can transfer value between each other's chains. So that's why everybody's rooting on each other. Every time there's something new and somebody succeeds, everybody's clapping their hands almost and uh, cheering them on. And uh, that's just such a great vibe that 
I've experienced in the Cosmos community myself. I I totally agree, and I think it's the it's the composability. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows that like there is going to be consolidation over time. Like some projects are going to succeed, some will disappear. Mm-hmm. But the really nice thing is like everyone's building on a common stack. You can combine things as they go, and and the beauty the beautiful thing about it is. Like you can leverage all those different networks to achieve like different things. Like transparently, when as we're looking to the payment rails that we're going to be building out, like it's highly likely that we're going to be using networks like Juno and Secret to do it, um, and and others. And what we expect is when people are going off and building SSI, they can effectively do the same thing with our network, and effectively that like, everything just becomes composable. Um, and it means there isn't that like fight over like even if it's two projects that are doing entirely different things your point around parachain auctions like Mm. if you've got two projects doing entirely different things you don't need to suddenly have like a community fight between them because it doesn't matter like they could just work together and eventually like actually someone could build on top of both of them whether they build a sovereign network for it or whether they just combine utilities um so it's yeah it's it's a completely different dynamic um and it's I think it just means that things sh- ship quicker. Um, like everyone's been tracking like the the explosion of projects on Cosmos since because like you can just go and start stuff up, um, especially with like the Cosmos hub coming around with shared security and stuff. Like it is just it's going to be so easy to start a project, then maybe migrate it um, as opposed to like okay we've got to build and then we've got to take a shot at maybe getting a slot. Um, and it's it's such a like. Um, it's such a binary like outcome. Like either you get a slot and everything's amazing or you don't and you're absolutely knackered until you do. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's so difficult. It's true. Anyway, it's so, so true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's so true. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I don't want to go on too much more of a rant, but it was, um, yeah, we, we felt really lucky that we weren't spending like yeah. a couple of million dollars on just, uh, just shoring up the price of, uh, of dot. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why I wanted to highlight it. That's why I wanted to uh, bring it at the front of the bus, as I say, because I was a skeptic, uh, I must admit, uh, beforehand. But now I'm just all in. It's um, this community, the technology, like, it's just rock solid. And uh, speaking of networks, I think Adam and... Uh, Cosmos in general has reached the uh, critical mass for for this to to gain mass adoption now, at least in the developer community. But speaking of other chains uh, and other projects for that matter, um, we have a few alternatives uh, or people who are doing somewhat similar things on other chains. The thing that comes to mind is is Jack Dorsey's block, which uh, releases Web Web 5 uh, company or organization, whatever it is. We got Vitalik, who's coming out talking about SB, SBTs, soul-bound tokens, which sounds a bit scary and dystopian to me. But yeah, there's a, at least some alternative uh, projects or ideas out there. Maybe you can speak to that and how how you guys how you guys compare to this and, and address this. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... Probably the first thing to, yeah, the best place to start is kind of the order that you did them in. So starting off with Web5 and Block. Um, so really what the, what they're calling Web5, I, 
Um, it really is self-sovereign identity or decentralized ID. Um, it's a genius marketing move because kind of SSI is a bit of a loaded term. Um, it has been for a while in that um, like it, basically uh, it has a bit of a backlash between like governments, organizations and individuals. Like there's always been tension around the term and Web5 just like neatly circumvents all of that and just covers like trusted or authentic data as a whole. Um, so it's really, really solid from that perspective. Um, but basically, it's it's just another name for SSI or decentralized ID. Um, and what's really interesting is like Block and, and Daniel Buckner, who who kind of have, like leads up that team, um, they are going down like the interoperable standards route. Like everything is being built to like W3C did specs um, and kind of everything else. And and that and it will kind of be interoperable with other stacks. Um, and obviously, what they're focusing on, I think, right now is um, using Bitcoin and the Lightning Network to anchor DIDs. Um, so I can go to Body if we if we need to there. Um, but they anchor these kind of um, these kind of core capabilities onto the Lightning Network. But the the bit that they're really offering outside of tooling is um, what they're calling decentralized web nodes. And effectively, what those are are like decentralized storage containers um, where you can pretty much put anything. So this could be trusted data like a passport, a driving license, all that kind of stuff, or it could just be media. Um, so it could be like a video that you've taken. And I think where it actually is going is it's going to be the, the source for decentralized Twitter. Um, I think that's actually where that's going. So like the like everyone's kind of there's been all this all this talk about decentralized Twitter and SSI, and the nice thing with decentralized web nodes is that you can actually store media and you can store like large volumes, and do it in a decentralized manner. And then obviously the way that this potentially works for some like Square or or Block um, and Twitter is basically like they can potentially monetize that storage over time um, mm. and, and kind of provide it that way. But it then makes it it potentially makes it very, very um, sensor resistant. And uh, I could just see Eduardo in the background pumping some stuff out in, um, in kind of to follow up. Um, so the, uh, I guess just to, just to close out like block, um, what's really interesting there is um, a couple of our partners are actually have done the same thing. Um, so they've not necessarily used uh, Lightning, although I think they can, um, but they're offering decentralized storage so um, specifically on our partner side, that would be the likes of um, Verida. Um, so they've, they've had this built out for a while. And mm. a company called Walt ID has also done it. So you've got these companies that are all kind of building similar stuff, just like Block is easily the one with, with the biggest profile and the biggest reach, especially with Jack, which like in terms of the reach that it's given SSI, it's just incredible. Um, which kind of neatly brings us on to, to kind of SVT. So... Again, that's another like massive announcement from a big personality in the space. And uh, what I found fascinating from it was um, Vitalik was actually involved in an event, which is um, in Amsterdam, in oh no, either Amsterdam or The Hague in September. And it's called Rebooting Web of Trust. And it's all around, um, well, building web of trust into the internet. So building that identity layer and making that work in a privacy preserving manner. And Vitalik was at one maybe six or seven years ago. And uh, 
he actually authored a paper. So the whole focus on uh, our rebooting web of trust is very different to other conferences. The whole focus is on creating um, reports and getting those out the door. So it's, it's a very, very like technical or philosophical conference. And he actually authored a paper, which is like kind of, I guess, around one of the core capabilities of SSI and authored that with um, uh, guys like Drum and Reed, who are kind of seen as thought leaders in the SSI space, um, but also people like Marcus Sabadello, again, another person who actually I'm on the phone with next, um, let's go straight after this. Um, so he's uh, like, what I found really interesting about SVTs was Vitalik was involved in the early days of like SSI and some of the papers w which were coming out. Um, right. And I'm surprised that like verifiable credentials, which are kind of analogous or part of SSI, were mentioned in the back of that paper, but nowhere near as as in depth as I'd expect them to be. And they were kind of tossed away um, without really like in depth analysis. And actually, I think when you start going into that in depth analysis and start comparing them back against SVTs, like SVTs really fall short. So. For anyone listening in that doesn't really understand what an SVT is, soulbound token, it's effectively a non-transferable, uh, non-fungible token. Um, so the token gets issued to someone, and it's they said by default or initially it's going to be public, and over time it will become private. And what's kind of really strange about that is basically if you're making it private, you may as well just use verifiable credentials. Like they've kind of already got that wrapped up. It just does everything that you need. So you're then starting to look at SVTs around like, okay, what are they actually going to solve for? And to be honest right now, I'm kind of at a loss because people are talking about them being badges. There's loads of development on them, apparently in the Ethereum ecosystem. There's a hackathon recently and almost everyone was building SVTs. But the problem with that is like if they're default public or at least initially public, you've effectively created this like terrifying dystopian world where people can like just understand what you're doing, who you are, all that kind of stuff, just from your mm -hmm. on ledger behavior. And um, Tor Blair actually from Secret had a great analogy for this um, at Consensus um, back in June. It was June. Um, and his point was basically like everyone right now with their on ledger behavior is walking around naked and they just, they just don't know yet. Like that's, and they're in the street, like it's all out there. Like everyone can see everything, but they just haven't realized that they're naked in the street yet. <laughs> and an SVTs is like the even like worse extension of that because it's not like it's on ledger financial behavior. Like it could literally, if you're talking about SVTs for education or they were talking about it for like loan defaults and it could be like, you haven't defaulted, someone got it wrong, and suddenly, like, you're branded publicly with this, like, terrible reputation that you can't get rid of. Um, so the, the other analogy I've been using is it's almost like the Chinese social credit system. Like, if, if, you, if you're, all of your behavior is ending up on Ledger in public and everyone can see it and judge you upon it, suddenly you're in this very terrifying dystopian world. So it's, <clears throat> I think it's, it, it was really positive in a way that it was kind of Vitalik and the Ethereum community acknowledging that like NFTs do not work for identity, but then it kind of made the mistake of doubling down on, oh, but we should still put all this stuff on Ledger and make it public rather than like, it doesn't need to be on Ledger. It can be completely in other places. 
and you can mm. have a default private mode, um, which is effectively what VCs and um, uh, VCs and SSI achieve. So it's like on one side you've got what Black, what Block, and uh, kind of Daniel and, and like Crowd are doing, which is like very much following in the theme of SSI. It's like interoperability first, like privacy first, and on the other side you've got like SBTs, which is the complete like almost antithesis of this. And I think what's going to happen is in the same way that, that was that wave of like NFTs do not work for identity and blah, blah, blah. I think there's going to be the same experience with um, SVTs. I think there'll be a, a kind of kind of what what Tor was describing, which is everyone's suddenly going to realize they're naked in the street, realize that they put all this stuff on ledger and just completely swing the other way once once they've realized the impact. Um if anyone from the community wants to volunteer, one thing I've been wanting to do for ages is take a look at a few people using ENS, uh, Ethereum name service, and see if I can track down both their assets down to their real world identities and prove that basically any tax authority would be able to trace them through ENS and just show the linkage. Um, so if anyone wants to kind of come and help me do that whenever they want, um, that's something I've been fascinated in doing for a long, long time. Because I think it would just show like this public by default mode is really not the way of doing things. Hmm. And just to tease this a bit uh, on the spectrum between uh, Web5 and um, and uh, Vitalik's SBT soulbound tokens, where does uh, Worldcoin, uh, wh- where do we put Worldcoin on the spectrum? Uh, is it a complete uh, train wreck? I haven't followed uh, the project that closely. I just looked at what they were proposing and just say, nope, this is not going to work. I'd say probably like, I'd say maybe maybe actually before uh, we started, like you can just introduce what the Worldcoin is all about uh, for the listener. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So um, I need to, need to refresh myself, but effectively, if I remember correctly, it was um, effectively like issuing proof of person. Yeah. Proof of personal protocol and doing it worldwide. Um, with like a token underpinning it. But the way that they were doing it was terrifying because they effectively went around the world with these massive um, cameras and were taking people's biometrics um, to create wallets. Um, and then giving them kind of tokens in return. But the terrifying thing is it's just like creating this massive like database of biometrics of people, most of whom I don't think understood what they were actually signing up for. Um, especially because they were going to like, um, I remember they spent a lot of time like publicizing, they'd go around Africa and they were going to change this and change that. And it's like, unless you've got like, it's in like, um, like, uh, like Western hemisphere, or, like highly educated markets that use biometrics all the time. It's still really difficult to communicate what the hell is going on with biometrics and where the data is going and how it's being controlled. And yeah. doing that in like a village where you really haven't explained anything and you're, they think you're just taking pictures is like, it's so, <laughs> so, so unethical. Um, so it's, it's like, it's got that like really ethically like bad side to it, as well as just it's creating like a, a, another data silo, um, all based around biometrics, which is just, so it's, I'd say it's, yeah. it's possibly way worse than SBTs because at least like SBTs, like, to do anything with them right now, you have to go through 
like an education process. Like it's still very, very technical, like the early days of DeFi. Yeah. Whereas WorldCoin has made it so easy by just turning up everywhere and taking people's biometrics that it's it, it's arguably worse. Um, yeah, everything about that project just seems so wrong. And I guess it's a blueprint for you how not to do it. I mean, uh, and it's not just uh, some random guy or girl launching this project. I mean, we're talking very high profile people. Sam Altman is the founder of the company, uh, the guy who is running, what is it, OpenAI now, but they used to be in Y Combinator, uh, like really, really high profile people. And as you said, like they were running around in Africa and whatnot, uh, scanning people's eyeballs and uh, yeah, putting it somewhere in some database and uh, giving them as compensation uh, cryptocurrency for free, even though the people that they were giving it to arguably didn't understand what they were getting. So yeah, everything about that project is sounded so wrong and just wanted to tease it because I think it's an epic story out there. Oh, I, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's, um, they they were really heavily backed by like Silicon Valley VCs, if I, if I remember correctly. And it was just a classic thing of like, we're going to go do this thing regardless of like the regulations, the ethics, like whether it's right or wrong, like we're just going to go and do this stuff because it's new, because it's interesting, because it's novel and yes, it might solve some problems, but it also might create like a whole world of others in the background. Um, so it's kind of just completely ignoring the potential for, um, what would you call it? Completely ignoring the potential for like unintended consequences. It was just the classic like, yeah, West Coast VC model of like, we're just going to go and do stuff and like hang the consequences in the same way that there's obviously been that, I don't know if it's crossed over from, from the UK to other countries, but there was that massive release of uh, from the Uber whistleblower. And this mm. was all like, oh, they skirted laws, blackballing, greyballing, like all that kind of stuff. And I think eventually that's going to happen here. Um, just the danger here is like you're dealing with people's like, well, data and lives in a much bigger way. Um, I think though, I guess the, the thing that SSI needs to do a lot better at is he's kind of educating gently like the trade-offs um, and also making the technology easier to use so that you can create these ecosystems, create these use cases, which are very easy to interact with without starting creating like privacy nightmares left, right and center. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's not to say that like those companies shouldn't be doing better on their own, but there's also kind of an onus on the SSI community, including ourselves, to like simplify the message, make it easier to understand and actually just, and just get it out there a lot more. Yeah. Awesome. I want to shift gears a little bit uh, for the people in here who has been sitting and listening for 45 minutes now, and I'm sure some of them are interested in hearing more about the token and the tokenomics. If I understand correctly or remember correctly, uh, the token was airdropped not too long ago to uh, Adam, Juno, and Osmo holders, stakers. Um, but talk to us perhaps about the token. Why Why do we need a token in the first place? Uh, what's the goal with the, with the with the token itself yeah absolutely so the token itself has it's like three or four utilities um four so obviously the most like the most basic like any other network is securing the chain um that's that's really the most basic but where um kind of where it really comes into its own is when you start looking at identity and governance so a quickly nail off governance obviously it kind of performs the same functionality that you would see on other networks um, in terms of the ability to stake, to vote, 
um, and kind of and go through that process. But where where it really comes into its own for us is is two things. So one is on payments for identity functionality. So on Ledger, like you, um, probably one thing to say is you should never have personal data on Ledger for the same way that like SVTs are a bad idea. Like that data should just never exist on Ledger. Otherwise it's, it's there forever, Like you can't get rid of it. Mm. But so a lot of it moves, moves off Ledger, but there are things that need to be on there to facilitate that data moving around. And they're things called DIDs, so decentralized identifiers. And the best way of thinking about those is they are a company identifier, typically, or an organizational identifier. And things called schemas, which basically say, like, as an organization, I issue these type of credentials. So it might be, this is what a passport looks like. This is what a gym membership looks like. This is what a receipt looks like. So those things exist on Ledger. And that's where, like, the payment for that is in check. So there's just a necessity there. And the next part is um, building the payment rails. And what we're looking to do is effectively use check as collateral and then make the payments in stable coins. So it will become basically um, a collateralized credit line and then settle periodically between anyone who's receiving data and anyone who's issuing that data in the first place and probably involving like whoever the subject of that data is as well. So there's a payment to them too. So mm. it's kind of got those four. There's like, yeah, security, governance, uh, identity functionality, which is just basic. And then the next big, big thing, which is going to be fun, which is um, all around uh, the payment rails and collateralizing those. And the reason just to just kind of round that off, the reason why that collateralization is really important is um, a lot of who are expecting to use this are companies and they typically don't operate on a transactional basis. Like they're not going to be sending like a dollar, $2, $3, 50 cents, 20 cents, like every single time they receive data, but they're more than happy sending like 10, 20 grand across a network at the end of a month. So it makes a lot more sense to kind of basically increment debt um, um, hopefully uh, um, Eduardo is still on the call and could kind of send these documents in the background but like, we have blogged how all of this is going to work out in terms of there will be incremental debt that's kind of built up and then the actual money movement will go in stables at the end of it and the whole thing will be collateralized in check so that if there's ever non-payment partial payment, late payment that kind of stuff then you start actually having that slashed um, so that you're always keeping people whole um, and then the real extension of this is building in reputation systems so that um, actually you can start to quantify like who is a good issuer of credentials, who's a good consumer of credentials and uh, making sure that the ecosystem as a whole is able to trust each other regardless of like knowing exactly who the other company is. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So multiple utilities is not just creating a token for, for the token sake uh, there's actually some pretty important mechanisms that you need in place and, uh, and and why you need a token yes yeah and the main thing is that payment um so a few people have taken a crack at it before and we we actually wrote a, a really good blog around why it needs the token specifically um mm. so uh to give the clearest example um we this is ages and ages ago we tried to pay uh, two different sets of lawyers. Um, one were based in Bermuda, the other ones were based in Singapore. 
uh, Bermuda, we could we could only pay in fiat, and it took our CFO in terms of like actual like overall time, not necessarily like dedicated time, but like actual duration, uh, three weeks to get that payment through. Um, we had the other lawyers were okay being paid in stables. It took us all of half an hour um, total, all effort in. Um, mm. So just when you're looking at like when an individual can take that data and move around the world with it, however they want to, you need to have something that's easy to come in and out of and transact with that. You can't have a situation where it's like three hops um, and conversions to be able to pay anyone. Like that's just never going to work, especially when those two companies may not have a relationship together. So um, there's all of this basically kind of coming together, which is like, you can only do this if you start having, kind of tokens and payment rails and, and kind of stables kind of in the, in the mix there. Right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and why people need to pay attention to the check token, by the way, uh, for those of you listening out there. I want to switch uh, to some community questions, if that's okay with you. I know you're a busy man, Fraser, and I, I have in mind that you, uh, that you have another call. I mean, you're saving, you're saving us all from a dystopian world where Facebook and Google owns everything. So we respect your, your time here. Um, but a few community questions that we got, uh, one from Rudy Asari seven, who is asking about the roadmap. So the question is, what's the milestones that you have achieved and about your upcoming plans? How do you plan to increase the demand for tokens in the crypto space in the years to come? Uh, cool. So the, um, I guess looking back, like we launched the network in November, um, and a lot of that since then has been like incremental change. So we got dids on there pretty quickly. We've now got them into, uh, we kind of got schemas on Ledger and actually even further, something called resources on Ledger. And all of that means that like, it's much more functional for pure identity. And to kind of explain what that means is inside the SSI world, there are like two or three communities. And... Um, two or three communities, and we were already serving one of them. We already had kind of the utility for that one, but we've created something that serves like one of the other two. And it means that it's so differentiated that actually no one else has this kind of functionality to the extent that we do. So it's fundamentally like differentiated. So as well as serving that second group, that second group is actually more served than they ever were before on any other network, but that's just purely identity. So that's kind of everything that we've done so far. The next big milestone, which will probably be the next month or so, will be around revocation. So revocation is the ability to issue a credential and then say whether it's been revoked or not, whether that's a driving license, a passport, whatever it is. And um, one of the big benefits of revocation is of having it on Ledger is it's privacy preserving. Um, so whoever issues the credential doesn't get to see where you're using it. That's one of the big benefits. Um, but from a transaction throughput perspective and an actual like um, check token perspective, revocation is where the volumes are. Like a company only really needs a couple of dids or maybe they'll have a did per year. You'll mm. only have a few few like schemas and definitions for what credentials they're going to issue. But a revocation might be every single time they issue a credential that actual that goes onto the network. So you're suddenly like the volume of transactions in terms of identity will just ramp up massively based on revocation. Um, but the real, the real big thing that we're going to focus on after that is revocate, sorry, is payment rails. Mm. Uh, that's, that's where um, 
that's going to take us some time. So that's probably going to be like Q3, Q4 this year. That's going to be a lot of work. Um, but the big thing there is that's going to be where token supply is going to start to be locked up on mass because every company that's looking to have a credit line for payments is going to have to start acquiring and kind of collateralizing credit lines in check. And that means that suddenly just like token supply is going to disappear and just get locked up um, to collateralize. And obviously, like depending on token prices, they'll either need to augment that collateral or they can let some go. But the big thing is like that's going to be the kicker for just token supply just disappearing off the market. And obviously, with limited inflation, it's not like it's going to be massively replaced. Um, so that's that's probably the biggest thing towards the end of the year, as well as above the ledger. There's all the software development kit work that we're doing with partners, and seeing that right. go through kind of more, we'll just start to kick off the adoption that we're looking for. So. Um, Hopefully that answers it. Um, if I've missed anything, I can always chip in. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, for anyone who wants more details, they can uh, reach out directly to uh, to your Twitter or the, the Czech Twitter, uh, etc. Um, but I think you answered it pretty well. Um, and another question here from Roma Fitos 18 uh, who's talking about actually the SDK and platform that you that you were just finishing off with. Uh, so once that's developed, um, one of the main challenges ob- oftentimes seems to be adoption, uh, how to get it out there. So what are the plans for you to uh, stimulate adoption and build out the ecosystem? Uh, we talked about vendors in the beginning of the of the space here, but uh, maybe talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I'm just uh, messaging my next call to say I'll be a few minutes late. To, so no worries. Time here. No um, worries. So... Cool. There we go. Um, so yeah, the SDKs. So the great thing, it like it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the uh, not going after a single vertical. Um, and what we're doing instead is working with partners. So instead of us building an SDK and then like hoping people are going to go and use it, what we've actually done is gone and you like worked with other people's tech and started building kind of using their tech and now starting to build with them. And what that means is rather than like I was having to build stuff and speculate it and hope that it's going to be used, we kind of already know that it's going to be because it's built into their own tech. And we should have an announcement on one of those SDKs coming out in the next couple of like couple of days, maybe next week, which will be like someone that we started working with their tech and now they're actively saying like, we want to collaborate with you and we will help you basically take this to market. And what's really nice is that's almost kickstarting an effort where other people, other companies are also saying, oh, hey, we also want to do this. Like, we also want to collaborate with you. We also want to get this into various libraries. And we can then go and take it to clients. And then to, to kind of round that off in terms of adoption, like one thing we've been really focused on doing is for the clients that they have or the clients that they're targeting, what do they need from the SDK, from the ledger to go and make that successful? And so historically, a lot, of what, a lot of what's happening or happened has been people built some ledger, ledger stuff like years ago and then let it stagnate or they're just not building it at all. And I think we're one of the few companies, maybe the only one who's gone to the SSI vendors, the companies themselves and said, what do you need? Like, what do you actually need from us um, to go and make yourselves more successful? So we've got the benefit of direct like product feedback from the people who are trying to kind of bring this stuff to 
into market with their clients. And as a result, like that kind of adoption is solved for us in that we've got partners to work with, we've got routes for feedback. And actually it means that when we're going out to, um, when we're kind of seeing that adoption, it's being done with like already some product market fit rather than having to like build it and speculate and guess. So it's kind of working in the reverse to like a, the way a lot of um, a lot of projects typically go about it. And for us, that dynamic is starting to really kick off. And the final thing I'd say is we've got another blog around uh, the payment rails. And our theory is that if someone is issuing data or consuming data, if you're issuing data, you get a new revenue stream. So there are payments for the data that you're issuing. If you're receiving that data, yes, you're paying for the data, but you're no longer having to do manual processing, which means that there's suddenly a balance. And if you're whichever one of those you are, you either want to make more money or save more money. And as a result, like you can just they're going to recruit more people. And the best example we had of this was in the UK. We were speaking to um, a high street bank. And at the point where we said, you can make money with this, like there were, there's revenue here. They said, oh, well, we won't just do this. We'll bring, it, we'll bring in all of the other UK banks, which is a completely different like approach wow. than if it had just been like there's no revenue and just one. So that revenue stream really does work in terms of dragging people in. Like It's really, really effective. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the networks effects are pretty, pretty extreme Ex- in this uh, business. Ex- exactly. We're, we're almost viewing it as a social network. That's, that's yeah. really what's going to happen across the top of this network. We just need to facilitate it in the right way. Yeah. So with that, Fraser, I want to thank you so much. I know you have another call, but uh, this was very informative, very inspiring. Given the number of people who are still with us on this uh, space, I think I speak for all of us that this was very interesting and uh, enlightening. And also finally, shout out to Eduardo. I think you... Uh, You've done a great job informing us along the way. There's a lot of tweets that I've received uh, throughout the past uh, the past hour when we've been talking uh, on all the different subjects that we talked about: Wellcoin, SBTs, SSI, like you name it. Eduardo has uh, has been tweeting about it the past hour or so. So yeah, with that, Fraser, I want to thank you so much. We uh, make sure to follow up with you guys and uh, follow your project and your progress. No, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's a topic we love to talk about because, like you were saying, it is it is so crucial to the way that this space is going to shape up, and and we need to be at the vanguard of it, and also need to be kind of working with the rest of the Cosmos community to really push this because um, we're much stronger together than than on our own, like we were saying throughout the call. So it really makes a massive difference. And uh, thanks for the great questions as well. It's uh, Unusual to hop on an AMA that's uh, got such great questions rather than the generic one. So it's great to, great to kind of speak with someone who really knows the space and, and how it's shaping up too. Thanks, man. I take that as a compliment. You you really should do. Um, no, it's awesome. And if you're if yourself or any of your listeners ever have any questions, uh, yeah, either find us on Twitter or Telegram or Discord. Um, I'm sure Eduardo will tweet out some links afterwards for uh, anyone who needs to be signposted. But again, yeah, really appreciate the time and uh, yeah, we'll be back anytime. Awesome, man. Thank you very much and uh, see you all soon. Thanks all. Bye. Ciao.